Hey everybody, this is Keith Loy. I'm the founding senior pastor of Celebrate Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and this is our podcast. I just want to say thank you for joining us, and it is my prayer that this week's message will truly encourage you. Enjoy. If you haven't seen this movie, it's called Up. It's actually one of the classics becoming because it's really touched the heartstrings of so many that can relate, especially the older crowd. And I don't want to give away the movie if you've not seen it, but what you're seeing in this clip is really at the end of the movie. The movie's really about an old man, Mr. Fredrickson, who you see in the clip. The movie starts with him. You learn a little bit about his life and the fact that he married a woman named Ellie. They had big dreams. You start to believe that he sought that they never achieved those dreams. And so when the movie begins, the city's growing around him, and he's quite stubborn and seems to be quite angry until there's a knock on his door, and the little boy changes his life. But it isn't until the end of the movie that his life actually changes. Now, why do I say all that? Because as I look at the church today, and we use a word like vision, it seems to me that most people are always living, believing the adventure is to come. Thus, they work the way they do, they slave the way they do. There's people that actually believe that once we get what we really need to have, we can finally then live the way we really want to live. And believe it or not, it seems that most Americans are caught in this cycle. And so when they hear the word vision, vision is about what's out there still to come. And what I discover in the church that most people are like Mr. Fredrickson. They sit back in the church, vision gets cast, and they sit there doing nothing, and I don't say it to be negative, waiting to see if it's what they really hope it would be. And they just wait. They just wonder. One foot in, but not for the whole to be. And they just watch. You see, that's really what the movie's about. Mr. Fredrickson thought that he would be married and this incredible dream would unfold. The only problem is his wife got ill and she died. And a little boy becomes an annoyance, if you will, until this moment. At the end of the movie, when he realizes that he'd been living the adventure, at least she had, that even though they talked about things to come, everything that they had lived was actually what she had hoped. And now she says, listen, and he realizes life is an adventure. And I say all that because 23 years ago, my wife and I pulled into a town called Sioux Falls. We had big dreams. But I have to tell you, my wife and I have been living those dreams for the last 23 years. The adventure wasn't something that was coming. The vision wasn't something that would one day unfold. We'd been living it for the last 23 years. And yet I believe in this moment, and maybe some of you haven't really stepped in, but I think God is signing the book today saying, hey, thanks for the adventure. But now, let's go live another one. Let's step out because I believe that our best days are before us. I believe it. I believe we're in it right now. And I want to share with you the answer from this movie, if you will. But if you got your Bibles, I want to invite you to go to the book of Acts. To the book of Acts, the first and second chapter. In a moment, I'm actually going to look at a few verses. Now, what I want you to do is just go to Acts 1. If you've got your uh, device, just click on it. If you've got your actual written word, because I like to have that with me as well, then just put your finger in it, put a marker on it, maybe flip it over on the table, because what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk you through Acts, but I don't want you to jump with me. It'll be up on the screen. Then we're going to come back, and I'm going to read some key verses. Is that okay? So I want you to look at the screen if you would, and I want to show you what the Bible says about the first church, because here's the thing. I listen to pastors. I, I've been to conferences. Uh, COVID, if you will, wrecked so many, and I don't understand it. And so I'm going to say that to say this. You and I are never in a crisis if we're truly walking with Christ. 
I'm going to say it again. You are never in a crisis if you're really truly walking with Christ. Because I say Christ is always bigger than any crisis, which means if you're in a crisis and you're with Christ, it's temporary at best and he's bigger. Am I true? Is that right? Now, some of you are not nodding your head. Some of you are not sure about that. Well, let me just say this. Whatever you're facing, if you see it as a crisis and it's consuming you, then you fail to understand the power of the cross. And you fail to understand what it really means to be a follower of Jesus because not even the grave could hold him back. And who's to say whatever you're facing, it might be the actually moment that God's going to reveal himself in ways you can't even imagine. Therefore, your crisis might be your best gift because God never wastes anything for those who love him. He will do the supernatural like you can't even fathom. And it's that that I want to talk about. So I believe that pastors who are spending time right now going, what's the church going to look like? How are we going to contextualize it? Because everything changed because of COVID. And I just believe this, the way forward is the way back first. And what God shared with me, and I really believe he was crystal clear in my prayer walks, I want you to go back where I birthed the church. And let's go back because he changeth not. So whatever he did to start the church 2,000 years ago is just as good today and will be 2,000 years from now. He knows what he's doing. And so we've been going back. I've been going back and just studying when it all began. I want to show you this. And I want you to see this. So just look on the screen. I'm going to walk you through real quickly through the book of Acts in an incredible fast forward motion. But this is where it all began. Acts chapter 1 verse 15. Here's what it says. In those days, Peter, the first pastor that God ordained and set forth, in those days, Peter stood among the believers and the group numbered about what? 120. Now, we don't know if it was exactly 120. The Bible makes it crystal clear. Even in the original language, it was about so someone was counting, but it wasn't as accurate as maybe we had hoped. But I sometimes believe we can lose ourselves in the specifics and fail to understand what God is doing in the mackerel in the bigger picture. Does that make sense? So the church began with 120 roughly people numbered, and Peter preaches his first sermon. It's actually a pretty good sermon. God seems to show up in a mighty way. Because in Acts chapter 2, 41, here's what it says. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So roughly we have about 3,000. Anybody can do the math? We now have a church that just birthed itself, 3,120. I don't know about you, but that's a pretty good day. Would you all agree? That's a pretty big deal, isn't it? Holy buckets, 3,120 people. Go God. But over and over, what you will see is that the Lord added, the Lord added, the Lord added. God is doing what only God can do. And I don't want you to miss this. So if you skip down a few more verses, Acts chapter 2, 47 says, Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. So if we want to just play this thing out, and let's just say he says daily, that's very specific in the moment. It's not weekly. It's not monthly. Every day God was adding at least one person. My, my guess is it was more than that some days. But if he's adding daily, we know that in one year, 365 people are going to be added, which is roughly 3485. That's a pretty good, pretty, good, pretty good church, right? God's on the move. But now when you get to Acts chapter 4, in verse 4, here's what it reads. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to be 5,000. Now, we don't know if it was 5,000 added to this number, or this number grew, and in there, at least 5,000 are men. So if we just kind of break this apart... We can roughly believe the church is probably running somewhere around 7,000 plus. Women aren't even counted yet. So I want to give you a quick moment of history that you need to understand about the, the Hebrew race back 2,000 years ago. 
One of the most important things to becoming a man when you move from boy to man in the next few years is that you get married. An unmarried Jewish man is not a popular thing. But not just being married, the hope is that you would have a child and that first child would be a boy. And so the Bible says it many times. When Jesus fed the 5,000, it says 5,000 men. The women and children weren't even counted. When he fed the 4,000, that was 4,000 men. The women and children weren't even counted. But I, I just want to say this for a note. Back in the day when women weren't counted, praise God, Jesus showed up. Because what Jesus said is, listen, I not only created male, I created female. And both are desperately needed of each other. And Jesus shows up and all of a sudden he gives women voice. Amen to that? I love it. Jesus hung out with the ladies in a time that you weren't supposed to do that as a Jewish male. But Jesus is like, "Lo, man, give me a break. I made them. You all missed this. And so if you've got roughly 5,000 men, you probably have maybe 5,000 women. And some of you might go, well, what if they aren't married? Let's just play it down. Let's just say about 4,000 were women. Now, I don't know if you know this, but when a man and woman gets married, something happens. You know what that is? She bakes a casserole, okay? All right? No, we have children. And if you got 7,000 men based upon this, that this number grew, that even in this number there's about 5,000 men, and we say that simply there's women involved, you got 4,000, let's just say that there's about 4,000 children because not only is one child important, Jewish families had multiple children. All I'm trying to get at is by... Chapter 4 in the book of Acts at the first church, you do the math. This thing is well over 10,000 people strong. God is blowing the doors off, and the Lord keeps adding, and the Lord keeps adding. In Acts 5, verse 14, it says, Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were keep being added to their number. The church is exploding in Acts 5.28, it says the Sanhedrin were arguing with the apostles. The Sanhedrin is literally the supreme court of that day. Look what it says. We gave you strict orders not to teach in his name. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. We gave you strict orders. That's why when someone tells me, look what they're doing. They're taking the Ten Commandments out of all the public places. Let me tell you something. I could care less what man thinks they can do. You will never stop the power of God. We just read this. We just read this. I gave you strict orders not to preach in his name. And yet you have filled all of Jerusalem. Let me help you understand what that means. B.H. Carroll is a famous Bible scholar. He estimates in that day that the church in Jerusalem was probably about 100,000 members. G. Campbell Morgan, who's also a famed scholar, says at minimum it must have been 60,000 people. Now here's where it gets crazy. Back in that day, the Jerusalem city of Jerusalem was probably the size of Sioux Falls. Roughly around 200,000 people. And what you learn in Acts is, if you were to go to High V back in that day, every two people you run into, one of them goes to your church. Half the city, half of the city has come to know Jesus. Unbelievable power of what God is doing. In Acts Chapter 6, it says this, in those days the number of disciples was increasing, it was multiplying. By the end of the book of Acts, in chapter 21, here's what it reads. When they heard this, they praised God and said to Paul, you see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed. The word thousands in the Greek is the word myrias, which means tens of thousands. Now you say, why am I saying all this? Because for the next three weeks, we're going to cast vision. We're going to talk about the answer to what God wants to do, I believe, in his church. Because what he did back then, he can still do today, people. I'm going to say it again. What I just shared with you back 2,000 years ago is the same God who can do the same thing in our Jerusalem today. The question is, do you believe that? 
Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that God can do what God can do? Let me, let me help you with this. This church that consumed half the city today doesn't exist. There's no remnant of what Jesus, what God, what the Holy Spirit did back then 2,000 years ago. Which means that somehow man sort of weaves his way in and thinks that he can build what only God can build. And when that happens, the church loses. Loses its voice, its thunder. I've said this many times, and if you didn't get it, I'll say it again. Ministry is messy. And the moment you and I think that we can control or clean up the mess, we take Christ out of the ministry and the movement no longer exists. God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. That's what the Bible says. And what happens in the church is we keep trying to make it what we think it should be rather than let God do what he said it would become. And that's what happened in the Jerusalem church. But regardless, I still believe that God who did an incredible thing back then can still do it today. Do you believe that? Do you really believe it? Well, here's the key. It's the title of this movie, Up. It's the title of the movie. The key to what God wants to do in his church is you and I learning to look up. But what happens is a pandemic comes into this country and everybody starts looking around. And then we make the pandemic bigger than who God is if we're not careful. Fear takes over the faith. We tend to look around. You've heard these words. Well, we need to learn to look within. My Bible says the human heart is wicked. I don't want to trust in myself. I don't want to look within. I want to look up. I don't want to look around. I don't want to look down and be depressed. I want to look up. And I want to show you that. I want to show you what God did in this movie, and, and, it's, and he's much greater than a movie, folks. There's something bigger in this room than it would ever be done on a screen. If we can understand those two letters coming together, what it means to look up. I, I remember years ago, there was a, a Christian band out, and they had a song that went like this. If you want to go up when he comes down you better get right or get left. <laughs> and so I, I just want you to know that I want to show you what it means to look right and to look up. So if you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 1, I want to show you some selected verses and we're going to pull out five key ingredients that the church, the people back then, five things that they lived out that if you and I would really understand what it means to embrace these and live them out today, you and I will see Thousands of people being added to a number. People coming to Christ. I, I just say this. I, I, I'm not trying to build a big church. I just want everybody in this city to meet a big God. And I, I'll show you what the Bible says about this. So Acts chapter 1, I'm going to begin in the sixth verse. Here's what it says. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. So when the apostles were with Jesus, the disciples, they kept asking him, and I think that we do the same today, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? That's interesting, isn't it? Our kingdom. I hear so many Christians say, boy, if we could just get this nation back to what this nation was founded on. Well, first of all, it's not our nation. This is God's world. And so often we're asking God to do, and maybe God's doing something bigger than we could ever imagine. Maybe we learn from the past, but what lies ahead is so much bigger than even maybe our forefathers even thought possible, despite the fact that I think we've lost our way. God's still good. God still is on his throne, and he can still do things that we can't even fathom. But look what Jesus says. He replies and says, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are, for not, for, they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
After saying this, he was taken up, up into the cloud while they were watching and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them, men of Galilee. They said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. I like to read this verse this way. But someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him. Now go. I love that. Now I want you to just jump over to chapter 2, Acts 2, and go down to the 42nd verse. Here's what it says. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Each day, the Lord added. If you got your notes, I want to give you five ingredients five key things that the church back then were living out in their lives. They understood, they embraced, and God was doing an incredible work, an incredible work. And if we can understand these and grasp these, I believe God will still do today an incredible work. Here's the first one. If we're going to be that church, be God's church in our world today, we must be dependent upon the Holy Spirit. Say that with me. Come on, church. We must be dependent upon the Holy Spirit. I read about a four-year-old boy who was visiting his aunt who was pregnant with her first child. So she took him and had him touch her belly so he could feel the baby kick. He was blown away, four-year-old. How does that baby get out of there, he said. Wanting to keep it simple, being that he's four, she simply said, the doctor will help. Wide-eyed with amazement, he says, you got a doctor in there too? And you know what the answer is? Yes. Yes. You and I have a doctor on the inside. And he's not a practicing physician. He's the actual doctor. And he has a name. It's called the Holy Spirit. He doesn't abandon us. He doesn't forsake us, the Bible says. And yet I don't think the church understands. We say things like this, that there's no way we can live a perfect life. So instantly we go to our humanity rather than walking in our spirituality. I know some of you are thinking, you saying we can be perfect? What I'm telling you is that Jesus Christ lived a perfect life and the Holy Spirit that he lived by that was in him is the same spirit that's in you. The exact same spirit that Jesus had. Probably why Jesus himself said, greater things you will do than I. Go figure that one. Greater things. Because of the incredible power of the Holy Spirit. We just read that. You will receive power. Power. Wonder-working power of the Holy Spirit. So you will be my witnesses. Notice what it didn't say. You'll receive the Holy Spirit so you can just sit around and talk about how good it feels. That's not in there. And yet I look at the church and I see so many people sitting on their premise rather than on his promise. Maybe that's why we labeled them one day, we called them pews. Because <laughs> it seems like we sit in them way too much. Folks, this is important you catch this. One of the fundamental, if not the fundamental reason the Holy Spirit was given. Do you know what it was? So that you and I would go out into the world and be a witness for him. It was not given so we could speak in tongues. It was not given so you and I could go do miracles. Even though that's part of what the Holy Spirit can do. 
Those are gifts of the Spirit, and please hear this. I believe in every one of them because you can't deny what's in the Scriptures. But the fundamental reason the Bible was given, we just read it, you will receive power, and that power will be the Holy Spirit, so then what? You will go be my witnesses. So you'll go out in the world and be my witnesses. That we'll be ministers to the world. That we'll be on mission in the world. And this doesn't happen by osmosis, people. It happens by osgosis, okay? It means we've got to go. We've got to put feet underneath our faith. And that power is with us. That power won't forsake us. That's what the prophet said in Zechariah. Not by power, not by might, but by my what? Spirit, my spirit, says the Lord. All things are possible because of the spirit. And so if we're going to be God's church in our world today, first and foremost, we need to be kind of people that are spirit-filled, spirit-controlled, and spirit-led. I want you to look at the screen if you would, and I want you to read out loud with me. These are the words of Jesus. Read it with me, Matthew 16. I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Do you know who's talking here? I just told you, Jesus. I want, I want you to look at that and notice whose name isn't there. Keith will build my church. Joel Steen will build my church. Billy Graham will build my church. Notice those names aren't there. God never asked me, never asked you. He said, I'll build my church. Do you know how he does it? Through the power of the Holy Spirit through us. But notice what it says, and the gates. You know what gates are? Gates are to keep things out. Notice whose gates they are. They're not heaven's gates, they're hell's gates. And the gates of hell will not prevail. In other words, Satan's not to storm us. We're to storm him. I'm going to play on words. Our job as children of God is to beat the hell out of his gates. <laughs> you get that? Some of you might be slow on that. Do not go away and text everybody. Our pastor cussed tonight, okay? Folks, listen, the devil might be a roaring lion. The Bible says that. But when you and I walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, he's a toothless on a chain wearing a Speedo in 80 below wind chills, okay? Kitty cat. He is nothing, nothing in the presence of of the Holy Spirit and the power. Amen to that. Look what Paul writes. What shall our response be then? This is what he says. If God is for us, who can be against us? What should be our response in the world today? What are we worried about? What are we stressed about? When God is for us, nothing's against us. He goes on to say, in all things, and I've said this many times, you know what the word all means? All in all things, we are more than conquerors. We're not just conquerors. We're more than conquerors through him who loved us. He goes on to say, for I am convinced, convinced, I know with certainty that neither death nor life, look at this, not even angels or demons, not even angels, neither the present nor the future nor any powers nor height nor depth, nothing in all creation can separate us from the love and the power of God. Nothing, nothing. Folks, the epicenter to everything that God does is the Holy Spirit. And the church back then walked in it. That's how they filled all of Jerusalem, despite what the Supreme Court was saying. They lifted up their voice because nothing can stop God. Nothing. They had a holy swagger that was awesome. And guess what happened? And the Lord added, and the Lord added, Here's number two. If we're going to be the church, the church today as God was moving back then, we must be devoted to one another. Say that with me. We must be devoted to one another. And this is a biggie. This is really a biggie because I think it's one of the most essential things that's so missing today. I don't say this with any disrespect, but I've been here 23 years and it just seems to me there's a lot of people you just can't count on anymore. And I'm not talking about the unsaved. I'm talking about those who claim to be saved. I know so many people, they're high on promise and low on performance. But do you know what the word devotion means? Do you know what it means? It means you're high on performance. You don't have to make any promise. Because your performance is the promise. People know they can count on you. 
They just know. I'm saddened when, when, when the going gets tough. First of all, the Bible says it's going to, so I don't know why people react to that. There's a disagreement among Christians. Uh, the Bible says it's going to happen a lot. <laughs> Christians are going to let you down. The Bible actually says that that's going to happen. And they react. They get mad. They get hurt. And I say it all the time. You actually went to a church and thought that no one, or like everybody there was perfect? Like, really? Like, you really went to that church and thought, oh, this, they're all angels there. It's like, dear Lord, <laughs> if no one was there and you walked in, nobody's perfect, okay? <laughs> Even if you were there alone. It's just a fact of the matter. We're all broken, are we not? Look at some right now and say, you're broken. Okay, just own it. We're all broken, people. That's why we need Jesus. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. But I want you to catch this. Here's what I get concerned about. I, I don't have the capacity to forgive you unless I have the power of the Holy Spirit in me. I, I don't have the capacity to just let things go and not let wounds, if you will, get rubbed in. I, I don't have that capacity, but in the power of the Holy Spirit, I do. That's why he gave us. That's why Jesus came and died and then he sent back the Holy Spirit. And when you and I are walking in the Holy Spirit, do you know what happens? We just forgive as he's forgiven. Us. We love as he has loved us. That's just the natural fruit of it. Isn't that what the Bible says? The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness. You know how it goes. That's why we need the Holy Spirit because in the Holy Spirit we are now really being devoted to one another. It's just a natural byproduct of it. People that understand devotion always have this posture of what can I give. They hardly spend any time, if any time, talking about what they get. Jesus said this in John 13, you will know who my disciples are. Look what he says, you will know who my disciples are. You want to know who my disciples are? Watch how they love one another. This will prove to the world that you're my disciples. He doesn't say, look how much scripture they memorize. He doesn't talk about how much they give. Giving is a natural byproduct of love. Love is always something that gives, it never takes. No greater love that you'd lay down your life. And then Jesus did it. That's what love does. That's devotion. We're connected. You know, I love you. You love me. <laughs> We're uh, happy. Makes you want to hate a giant purple dinosaur, doesn't it? But look at Acts 2. The believers, notice, the believers, the believers, the followers, those who are Christian, watch it, met together in the temple every day. They ate together in their homes. And look how they ate. Happy to share their food with joyful hearts. My guess is, is when they sat around the table, they probably had disagreements. Because that just happens, doesn't it? Especially if there's marriage involved. Can we just be honest? But they still had joyful hearts. They still shared with a happy heart. Why? Because they're devoted. They have the Holy Spirit in them. And they love. I will say this. It will be impossible for any church... It'll be impossible for any church to get people outside its walls to love if it first isn't lived in here. The key to the gospel is God's people loving each other. And if we're not doing that, people aren't going to come. Why would they? doesn't make sense are we devoted to one another if we are do you know what do you know what the bible says and the lord will add to their number here's number three we must be dutiful in prayer i want you to circle the word dutiful i love that word dutiful there's a tale told about a small town that historically had been dry which means there was no alcohol in the town until a local businessman decided to build a bar. A group of Christians from a local church were concerned and decided to set up 
all-night prayer meetings asking God to intervene. Crazy. It just happened shortly after they started praying. Lightning struck the bar and it was burnt to the ground. They were thrilled. Except the owner was outraged. And he sued the church, claiming that their prayers were responsible. But the church, in turn, hired a lawyer to argue in court that they were not responsible. The presiding judge, after his initial review of the case, brought both parties into the room, the courtroom, and here's what he said. No matter how this case might come out, one thing is certain to me. The bar owner believes in prayer, and the church people do not. So what do you think about that? Jesus said in Mark 11, my house will be called a house of prayer. My house will be called a house of prayer. Did you know 48 times in the book of Acts, 48 times you'll read these words, they prayed. They prayed. Do you know why they prayed? Because they had the Holy Spirit in them. And they understood the power of what the Holy Spirit can do. They prayed because they understood the words of Jesus when he said, apart from prayer, you can do nothing. Everything happens by prayer. They understood when Jesus said, you ask, it will be done. You seek, you will find. You knock, the door will be open because they understood the power of the Holy Spirit. And hence, they filled all of Jerusalem. Prayer, the most powerful spiritual weapon that God gave us. And if we're going to fight a spiritual war, we're going to need that spiritual weapon. Folks, prayer is not something we do at a mealtime. Personally, if you want mine, I think we ought to quit praying over our meals. Because it seems it's the only time we pray. Let's pray for something that really matters. Not your biscuits and gravy. By the way, I've had some of yours. You can pray all you want. God can't fix it, okay? All right? I'm just telling you. Sometimes we ought to pray, God, dear Lord, make me not eat this, okay? All right? Tell mom to stop. Whatever it is, I'm just here to tell you this. What we need to be doing is realizing what God can do. We can pray. We can pray. And you know what happens? And the Lord adds to that number. Here's number four. We must be deliberate in giving. Say that with me. We must be deliberate in giving. Acts 2.45 says they sold, if you will, their land and the things they own, and they divided the money and gave it to anyone who needed it. You might want to write this down. A giving church is a growing church. A non-giving church isn't the church at all. Because, see, people understand when you have the Holy Spirit and you understand what it means to be devoted to one another and you get the power of prayer, the natural tendency is you're just a generous person. And I'm not just talking financially. I'm talking when it comes to your time, when it comes to helping. You just see something, you look down, you see something on the floor, you pick it up, you throw it away. You just do whatever you can. Say, I'm here, God, whatever you need from me. You're just a generous person. See, I'm okay if you're busy right now, as long as you're busy about the things of the kingdom that really matter. I'm okay if your time is full, as long as your time is about something that really matters. People come up and say, Pastor, I know you're busy. And I always say this, you're busy too. We're all busy. I'm no more busy than you are. My question is, what do you give your time to? What do you give it to? Does it have the kingdom on it? Or does it have earth on it? I say it all the time. I don't, I don't understand our nation. I don't get it. We talk about financial giving and people start freaking out in this nation. If somehow if I have almighty dollar in my hands, I'm going to feel really good and happy. And we're the richest country in the world. And yet, I don't know about you, but happy is not how I describe the American mindset. See, I don't get it. I don't understand it. If that green really makes people happy, shouldn't we be driving through traffic and people going, oh, no, go ahead, cut me off. That's awesome. You know what I mean? I mean, you'd think. But we're not that way. It's like it's not enough. We've got to get more. We've got to get more. We've got to get more. And I'm here to tell you, he has all the more I need. And I'm going to keep saying, you can never outgive God. Look at Proverbs 22 says, the generous, and he's not just talking financially, but the generous will themselves be blessed. The generous will themselves be blessed for they share their food with the poor. And you know what happens? And the Lord adds to the number and the Lord adds to the number. Here's number five. 
We must be dedicated to reaching the loss, the final thing. We must be dedicated to reaching the loss. I want to go back to where it all began with the Holy Spirit. The first thing that the first church was told, wait for the Holy Spirit. The second thing they were told was, so you can be my witnesses to the world. I said that early. I want to come back to it. Jesus never said, Jesus never said, I came that you might have meetings. Jesus never said, I came so you would have church. Those words are not in the Bible anywhere. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and life to the full. And yet it's such a misunderstood verse. Because when you read it in the original language, what Jesus was talking about, I came that you might have life. And you experience the fullness when you live that life in such a way in a lost, dark world that they would want what you have. I might argue with some of you in this room, and it might sound selfish, I may be living one of the most abundant lives more than most people even in this church. I don't say that in comparison. There's just nothing like telling people about Jesus and living it out there. There's just nothing like it. Before I even came on the stage, Pastor Reed's down at one of our church plants at Lake Andes, and he sends me a video of a little old lady. He sends me a video that he filmed. She wanted to say something, and she just started crying. She goes, Pastor Keith, you have no clue. I've never met you. I watch you every week. And, you have, and she starts weeping. She says, you have changed my entire family's life. I, I'm literally, I, I mean, I, I don't know. God, am I being humbled? Because I was like, whoo. Way to go, man. Glad on me. You know what? I mean, I, I was like, God, if, I'm be, if I need to humble, knock me down a little bit. So I sent her a video back. Before I walked out, I grabbed it and I wrote back and just told her what that meant to me. I love the fact, and I told her, I said, I love the fact we get to do this together. What a privilege it is for me to be a pastor and that you would hear God's word and it would change your life. Wow. I said, I can't think of anything more that I'd want to hear than that. Thank you. I just is so cool. When you're about lost people, you experience life in such a way. Watch this. It doesn't matter how you and I behave in this room. We can come here and, and by the way, man, Ryan, that song was amazing. I love that song. We can stand here and put our hands up and do all this. It doesn't matter how you behave in here. You want your life to, to matter and make impact? What matters is what you believe out there. You can come here any week. You can just raise your hand. God knows your heart. He knows how you lived all week. He knows who you are behind closed doors. Ain't nothing hidden. Ain't nobody being fooled. That's the impact. It's who we are in the world, and the world desperately needs you and I. Amen to that. They need us. They need us out there loving them and showing them and walking with them and helping them understand who Jesus Christ is. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but every time Jesus preached a parable, almost every time it's about penetration. Did you know that? Almost every parable, salt penetrates meat. Light penetrates the darkness. A key penetrates a door. Leaven penetrates the bread. Over and over, Jesus is saying this, if you're one of my people, I need you to penetrate society. I need you to go out and storm the gates of hell and watch what God can do. And we do it with love, don't we? Not judgment, not condemnation, not criticism. We do it with love. And we help people meet Jesus. And there's just nothing better than that. And you know what happens? And the Lord adds to the number. If you haven't seen it, you need to see it. It's just one of the greats. It's one of those, I think, like me, you'll see it time and time again. But what would it be like if we were a church that really said, I, I want to walk in the Holy Spirit? That whatever you ask me, God, I will obey. Paul said, do not quench the Spirit. He wrote to the church of Thessalonica. What he was talking about is when the Spirit speaks and we have some reservations and we start questioning it, we actually grow calloused. But God's trying to tell us something and show us something. 
And he's going to ask us to do some things that are going to seem really ridiculous. But again, his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. But whatever you think is really like crazy when it comes to God, whatever you think you could lose, I guarantee you'll get a whole lot more back. That's just who he is. God does what just seems the impossible. It makes no sense, at least to us, but it makes all the sense in the world to him. What if, what if we were a church that truly just trusted the Holy Spirit? What if we were a church that really was high on performance, didn't have to worry about the promise that we're so devoted to one another, no matter what, someone hurts you, it's okay, we forgive quick. Someone lets you down, it's all right, I've been there too. We give hardly any attention to the negative. We just focus on the positive and the beauty of what can be. What if we were that devoted? What if prayer became something that was just as common as breathing to us because we just know the power of that spirit that's within us? What if we really cared about being really generous and intentional about it? Whatever it would cost, who cares? Just knowing that God would never leave us stranded ever on any account and what if we really cared about lost people well I'm a little hesitant always to be these days being truly vulnerable with you not that I'm faking anything or lying anything it's only the fact it's nothing to do with you it's just the fact that I wish I had learned this early on anytime you have huge crowds of people that gather everybody's going through different seasons they're at different places And I don't know what happened maybe prior the day before or even that morning thereof. And so when something gets said, it's heard sometimes in different ways. And I'm I'm just a little more cautious about it. But I'm going to risk a second, just a moment to say this. I'm very aware of the fact of my mistakes. I'm more aware at 56 of my foibles, my shortcomings, more than I've ever been. But see, I think it's a good place to be because in the midst of that, I'm more and more aware of who I need. And I think that's a great place to be. I'm not beating myself up, looking down at myself. Oh my goodness, I know what it's like to fail more and more these days it feels like that. But it's in my weakness that I get to see the strength of Almighty God. And I understand more of those words that you and I are to die to self. See, I think where the church might have done some injustice to people, we've used languages that aren't even in the Bible. For instance, we'll say you need to invite Jesus into your heart. That's not in the Bible. It's not even in there. My Bible says that my heart is wicked. I I don't think that God wants to become in my life. I think he wants me to die to myself and he's inviting me into his life. See, that's a different mindset. For me to invite him in, almost kind of still means I'm in control. But for me to die to myself, surrender myself, and walk in the newness of the life he has, that's just a total different world. So here's here's what I want to do is bringing all this together. I think God wants to do today what he did 2,000 years ago. I still think he's the same God, and I think God wants to move in this nation like never before. But it really comes down to you and I, where we die to ourselves. And I learn to do that every day. God, what is it that I just, I need to let go? Maybe something I pick back up and I need to let that go to you. I can't control it. You're the one in control. When you leave, you're going to be given a balloon. Remember I told you the key is up? We need to learn to look up, not within, not around, not down. We need to look up. Just like the disciples that day that Jesus, when he was ascended, they just kept looking up. And two angels said, men of Jerusalem, what are you doing? Why are you looking up? See, it's in the moment that they were looking up that they heard the voice. And they were told, you need to go. Go to this upper room. He's going to send the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's going to do wonders. And those 11 disciples, remaining ones, did as what they were told, and the world's never been the same. Here's what I'd like to do, and I hope every one of you will do this. We all have things that we hold on to, don't we? We all have things that 
we, we're, we're, we're fearful of letting go. I get it. I get it. But one more time, what if you would take the balloon? You're going to be given a balloon, but you're also going to be given a marker. That's just between you and God. No one else needs to know. We want you to take the balloon and we want you to write on it. What is it? Maybe it's just one thing, a couple things, whatever it is. Just write it on the balloon. And then when you go outside, let it go. Let it go. And just watch it. Just keep looking up. And I think just maybe God might speak in a way that only he can. And he's going to do something. I, th- I believe in this church like never before. If we'll just look up and let it go, I think he'll come down. I think he'll do things. Father, I thank you for your church. Every one of us in this room, you love so much. You're not mad at, you're not down on, you're not disappointed in. God, you love every one of us so much. God, I can't speak for anybody else, but even I know at 56, there's things I just want to hold on to. But just to let it go. Just let it go. To look up and to believe that you're going to do some things that I think you're calling your church to wake up. I think you're calling your church to rise up. I believe you're calling your church to get up. And when we understand up, things begin to change. The Holy Spirit comes upon us. A love flows between us. Prayer becomes common as breathing. Generosity is just who we are and lost people matter. Wow, God. And I believe with all my heart and you will add to that number those who are being saved. In Jesus' name I pray. And everyone says, amen. God bless you. Well, thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past messages. And if you like what you're hearing, consider rating it and even sharing it with your friends. It helps so much. You know, you can click the share button, take a screenshot and share it on your social stories and tag us at Celebrate Church. For more content from Celebrate and to connect with us, go to celebrate.church. We love you and we believe in you. God bless. God bless.